Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of Whiskey Talk from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I'm your host, Mad Schmoll. This month, we meet Craig Johnston, who works for Edrington as master blender for the famous grouse. From East Lothian to Tasmania and back to Scotland, Craig has worked across the whisky industry for the past 20 years, with time spent as a distillery tour guide, a distillery manager, and a few years behind the bar at the Society's Members Room at 28 Queen Street. I caught up with Craig at the 106 Sample Room to find out more about his whisky journey. Let's start with your backgrounds. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Um, so I'm originally an East Lothian boy. Um, I was born in uh, Long Nidri, but spent most of my sort of, you could say, school years in Trinent and McMerry, so east of Edinburgh. Um, and basically lived there until I was uh, 18 when I moved up to Edinburgh for uni. Uh, and at 22, I had my first sort of trip abroad. So, yeah, east, east of Scotland is where I spent my formative years. And let's talk about that time in Edinburgh because you actually have a degree in astrophysics. So how did you go from astrophysics to whiskey? Uh, it's a good question. It actually probably worked the other way around. So uh, when I finished high school, uh, I realised that I wanted to do more physics. I enjoyed physics at school. Um, I also needed to improve my public speaking skills. So I got a job at the local distillery at, uh, at Glenkinchy as a tour guide. Uh, and the idea there was to go and you know, talk to people in a public forum and then go on to, to university and take it from there. But something about the whiskey industry and, and the people that, that I worked with at Glenkinchy kind of grabbed me, I suppose. Uh, and you realise pretty quickly in, in, this, uh, in the whiskey world that for every sort of story you give out, you get three or four back. And if, you, if you're open to it, you can learn um, a lot about the world and you can meet some amazing people from, from all over. Uh, and I was sort of grabbed by it. So I was, I was in the whiskey industry before I was at uni and then during my university uh, degree, I was working weekends as a tour guide at a distillery um, at Glenkinchy and then I spent uh, evenings working for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society uh, behind the bar at Queen Street. So it was, it was the two things ran side by side. <laughs> and tell us about, a bit about your time at, at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Um, so the Whiskey Society was one of those sort of opportunities that popped up. I'm obviously loving my time at, 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 uh, at the distillery. Um, didn't really have much in the way of hospitality background or, or bartending and it was always something I wanted to get into. So uh, I, I went up for an interview with, uh, with Jan, Jan Damon at the time, who's running Queen Street. Um, and after speaking with him for half an hour, I realised it'd be a good spot to learn even more about, about Scotch. Um, and yeah, we ended the interview with sort of when can you start? And, and I jumped behind the bar, you know, seeing the, the plethora of, you know, a couple of hundred bottles of single cast whiskey for the first time was, was maybe a little bit daunting, but extremely exciting. Um, and I got to see a completely different world coming from, you know, a, essentially a, a brand driven, um, distillery name driven marketplace to one that was all about flavour and all about single casks. And we're obviously, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. Mm -hmm. um, you must have had some maverick moments. We're celebrating this year of, of doing things differently, unconventionally, yeah. if you will. Do you have any maverick moments from your time at the Society? Maverick moments? Um, oh, I mean, the Society opened up so many doors for me. I saw some really quite incredible things, um, both from both sides of the bar, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I think... 
if I look at, well, pr proudest achievement was being asked to join the tasting panel and then I actually had the opportunity to chair a few of them as well. So getting to, to sort of sit and, and learn how other people think about whiskey, you know, from like you know, Robin, uh, Robin Langs and Charlie McLean's and uh, Elspeth Murray's, those people was, was, was quite formative in, in my thinking. Um, it's interesting that you're talking about influences um, because I was going to ask who has influenced your career so far, who's been inspira inspirational and maybe guided you? Um, oh, it's, it's, it's a big list. So, I mean, obviously spent the start of my career at that distillery out, out in East Lothian, but, and I think the, uh, the, the ladies that ran that, so there was Isabel, Andrea and Mary, um, they were they were vital in showing me that, that Scotch is a people business. You know, the whiskey industry is a, a people industry. It's, yes, we're making incredible liquid, but without people to enjoy and talk about and share and, you know, get excited about the liquid, it's just it's chemicals in a glass. Um, so they definitely gave me my viewpoint on the socialism of the industry, I suppose, and the people focus. Um, in terms of production, I didn't really start my sort of production career until 2014 when I moved down to Tasmania and I learned how to make single malt whiskey in a, essentially in a milk vat at, uh, at Lark Distillery. I was handed a paddle, 400 kilos of barley, was told where the hot water tap was and then I was asked to um, essentially put, put a brew together and, and come up with a single malt. Um, and through the, the sort of eight years I spent down there, um, my sort of partner in crime, you can almost call him my brother these days, is um, Chris Thompson, who's the head distiller. So him and I grew up, I suppose, in the industry. Uh, he's 16 years this year at Lark, started on the bottling line, is now you know, head distiller and has been sort of driving the, the quality and consistency of that business. Um, and he taught me how to think about whiskey, you know, both from a structural perspective also from a leadership perspective from a, um, and from a, a kind of values perspective as well. Um, so yeah, the, 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 my whiskey philosophy, I suppose, really started to form under him from a, a production and quality perspective. And in terms of your travels, um, mm -hmm. you, you've been all over the world, as you've, as you've mentioned. Have your experiences of different world whiskies influenced the work you do today? Yeah, I think there's always learnings. It's, it's quite interesting going from, so moving from, from the Scottish industry down to the Tasmanian industry, and I saw how small it was, but also how much potential it had. And you, I think, like when I went down, we made 100 litres a day, three days a week. And when I left, you know, we were churning out six or 700,000 litres of spirit a year from three different distilleries. So that gives you an idea of the meteoric rise of, of, of that brand. Um, and it kind of showed that our, our philosophies were working, but we, we fell into a few, you know, a few challenges throughout that seven or eight years. Um, and then I got the opportunity to obviously come back and work for you know, Scotland's biggest selling blended whiskey and famous grouse, um, 45 million units a year. And we have some of the same problems, but I now have an antipodean solution potentially for some of them that come up. So not only am I learning from the, the, the team back here in Scotland, many of whom you know, have been at the Famous Grouse for a long time, um, but I can actually have really good brainstorming conversations where we talk about how those problems were solved in another market. Um, so from a production perspective and from a blending perspective, uh, I definitely think there's, there's learnings both ways. It's, it's, quite, it's quite fascinating. 
It is indeed. Um, and that just that mutual learning is so important mm. as well in the industry. Um, but you've also had quite a, a few different roles in your time in the, in the industry. Yeah. Um, so how did you start um, to get into blending? Um, the blending side, the, the, the sensory evaluation was actually kick-started by my time at the, the Whiskey Society with the tasting panels. Um, you know, I'd, I'd spent the, the distillery time learning how to tell stories and, and market and sell the product. But this was the first time that you actually got to, I guess, analyse it and start to look for not only the things that were incredibly amazing and fantastic about it, but start to see if there was anything wrong with it. Um, start to explore, you know, the balance, the complexity, you know, how, how those whiskies are formed. And taking that knowledge and then going to see the distilleries where the, the, uh, the products made to work out how that was put together was, was huge, hugely influ influential in my sensory journey. Um, I then spent a bit of time after the society with Brooklady and got to sort of pop in and out of their warehouses and seeing um, Jim McEwen and, and Adam Hanna at the time. So, you know, they were always shoving glasses at you so you could, you could learn what was happening there. Um, and then down in Tasmania, you know, I think one of my biggest sort of, I was, biggest strengths when I moved down there was I had this background of, of, of Scotch knowledge. So we could take that learning, that knowledge and these technical things and, and apply them to a tiny bee distillery um, and then working with Chris start to actually formulate a tasting panel at, at Lark you know and start to look at how things are put together there and we moved that business from a single cast business to a um, to a single malt business where we were blending cast together and watching how the structure changes when you add different um, different uh, th different whiskies together was uh, is always fascinating when you add you know when you add, say, a, a heavy spirit to a blend, you sometimes expect it to be dragged back in the palate and to, to, to see it sort of sink a little bit. It doesn't always happen like that. And sometimes it'll actually um, entice the, the lighter fruity notes to, to bounce. So you just learn all that through experience. Um, and taking that knowledge and then coming to the blending lab here, you know, we're in the, the 106 sample room, the, the historic, you know, famous grouse sample room. Um, where there's thousands and thousands upon samples to, to pull stuff off the shelf here and add it and just take notes on, on you know, what actually happens when you do that is uh, it's still exciting today. Well, I was just going to ask what a typical work week looks like for you at the minute. Um, at the minute, it's an interesting moment. We've come to the end of financial year, so I think a lot of people are spending their budgets and therefore I do a lot of this stuff. So I've got a few, I've got two podcasts this week and had an American film crew in. Um, but the, the typical week here, Generally, you'll, you'll have a, a number of blends that are coming through. So uh, what we receive here at the sample room are um, the casks, the, particularly the malt casks that are going to go into Famous Grouse. Um, every single one of our casks that go into any blend, including the grain, um, are nosed for quality uh, before they're tipped. So that's a huge undertaking. So that's about 80,000 samples a year just for the Famous Grouse finest. So we look at all of those. Um, they're nosed, they're uh, tested for colour tested in bench blends and then they're approved obviously to go into that. Um, you've also got stock levels that are looked at each year so we're currently looking at um, some of our releases, uh, things like Smoky Black, the, the brand new, the famous one, you know, making sure that we have enough stock laid down if we don't, you know, what part of the, the recipe is in jeopardy and then what do we have in stock that could potentially replace that. So the, the, I would say the most fun part of the 
the week is when you're looking at those problems to solve and you've got samples coming in from the warehouse team and you're actually you know, trying to blend to ensure you get consistency of quality. Um, so we get a bit of that done as well. And then every so often someone will take me out for dinner. Um, and probably about once a month, something we've been trying to promote, we do get more and more industry friends from around the world in. So we did actually have um, someone from Larkin last week and we had a couple of people in from the American bourbon industry the week before. Um, so we, you know, we like to share ideas across the industry. Uh, and then the other side of things is the lab work, looking at new mix spirit, first and foremost from a sensory perspective, but then working with the distillery teams to feedback, you know, what, what's gone right, what's gone wrong, what, what would we like them to change so that when we get our, our, uh, our whiskies through in three, four, five, six, seven, eight years for grouse, we have tried to sort of stave off any potential change or drift in character. So it's, they're pretty busy weeks, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, that's not even touching on the projects that are happening that I can't tell you about. <laughs> well, I was going to ask what, what, you were, what you could talk about that you were working on at the minute, that you're excited about. Yeah, I'm excited about lots of stuff. Um, as I said, I mentioned the famous one there. It's our newest product. Um, it's an online exclusive. It's, it's the one that is probably gathering the most attention. Um, so there's a lot of... I would say brand building around that and working with the teams to, to raise awareness of that. So that's a, still a live, you would say, live new project. Um, probably the most exciting thing that's happening just now, um, can't probably go into too many details, but we are being asked, obviously, um, to blend a bit more sustainably these days. And that, for, you know, for, for the entire industry, is extremely important. But for Famous Grouse, we see huge potential in what we can do. So looking at you know, ways of maximizing cask usage without changing quality, um, lowering the carbon footprint of the whiskies that we use in the blend, also making sure that the movements of stock from site to site is as efficient as possible so that we're bringing you know, tankers and casks down um, and using less uh, truck movements to do that. So there's, there's loads and loads of different facets to blending sustainably. Uh, I often talk with Gordon Motion, who's the Highland Park master blender. He's, he's been in this room for 25 years. And um, blending sustainably is, I think, a, a new concept, you could say, in his world. But um, the excitement that you see throughout the team, you know, him, him, with Gordon included, is, uh, is, is, is fascinating. So we've got a few things that we'll keep under wraps. But um, one thing I can say is that the quality and the um, consistency and the supply of Famous Grouse is... Uh, is secure. It's just that different parts of the recipe might change over the next few years as we uh, as we see the fruits of our labour. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more about it uh, in the future. Yep. Um, we're standing in this beautiful sample room yep. and just surrounded by whiskey. I'm saying it for everyone who's listening um, <laughs> just now. Are there any whiskey or whiskies or samples that you've tried that, that really have stuck out in your mind in your time here? Yeah, there's oh, there's a few mind blowing samples in here. Um, I think the one that sticks out in my mind the most is actually coming into this room, and, and it was just the first the first blend of Famous Grouse that I got to approve was was quite special. Um, Famous Grouse to me always has this sort of ice and sugar sweetness on the nose, and then it's got this rich toffee depth of palate from the the, um, the good number of sherry casts that we use in the blend. So to actually get to do that myself um, was was massive. Um, the I mean, there's also 
there's for the, the benefit of the tape, there's obviously hundreds of, of samples around here. There's a few trophies as well. This one up here is a the Spirits Challenge trophy, which is famous grouse 30 year old one in 2007. And um, we actually found a little remnant of that that was still in cask that's sitting at 47 years old just now. Um, I got to try that and was was pretty blown away by just how incredibly uh, good that, that that blend was. Um, yeah, there's too there's too many in here to count. I mean, you could go into any cupboard, you could find something in there, and uh, it would bring a pretty big smile to your face. <laughs> and in terms of of just your experience of the famous grouse, um, I wanted to ask, in terms of when you tried it before, or went maybe at the start of of your job here, mm -hmm. and trying it now, has the flavour profile changed for you? Is it just a completely different experience? Um, well, I'm happy to say that the flavour profile hasn't changed. Um, I think when I first got the job, there was a, a, a little article that came out and um, essentially the message of the article was, don't screw it up, Craig. <laughs> um, luckily, to, I can say that we haven't, we haven't done that. I think what's really sort of surprised me in the way that my mind has shifted, and this is probably a little bit different to when I worked at the Whiskey Society, is when I first came in, you were looking at every single cask and you were treating them all like single casks. And we still do that from a quality perspective, but starting to think of whiskey as flavor as opposed to as a destination or, a, a, or, a, or even as an origin, um, that's actually probably more similar to the Whiskey Society than, than I first thought. Um, that has become the norm. So we can change what distillery is going to the makeup, but we won't change the flavor or the, uh, we won't, like if, if I've got a grassy whiskey, for example, I know what I can put in there now to replace that. You know, there's, there's a couple where you need to get a couple of different distilleries to replace one. Um, but yeah, we very much, my mindset is now flavor driven, structure driven, and it's all about the quality of the liquid in the glass, as opposed to hanging up too much on where it's from. Um, yeah. And would you say that the quality and consistency that you've spoken about before, that those are the most important parts of your job or is it something else? Quality and consistency, definitely. Um, this is the, I think what, what, what really surprised me when I got here is the quality control systems at this company are as stringent and as strong as we had in a tiny little family distillery in Tasmania. I think when I first got across here, I was expecting us to say we sample X percentage of casks and we, you know, we look for less variables or, or less um, tick checkboxes. In actual fact, it's the opposite. We sample every single cask. The checkboxes that we go through from a sensory perspective are obviously extremely stringent, but we also have checkboxes from a lab, you know, an actual chemical analysis area, which is again to the next level of anything I've seen you know, in, in my time in the industry. So the quality control aspect is, is huge. Quality and consistency is, is massive. I've also never worked for a brand before where we still get handwritten letters from Grouse fans. We probably see a couple of them a week. We got a, a really beautiful one last week from, uh, from a lady down south who essentially was saying to us that during Christmas time when the famous grouse adverts come on, it puts a smile on her face and she's loved every single grouse advert. Um, she says, you know, uh, she, it lets her know that it's, it's sort of Christmas time and her family's coming round 
um, and she signed the letter off with credit where it's due and then she signed her name. Now, we had no return address, so she wasn't looking for anything. She was literally just saying, you guys are doing a great job, keep it up. And we see sort of two or three of those every couple of weeks. I've never had that before. I've never seen that before. And, and to actually take the time to then reply to the, um, to the fans of, of Grouse where we do have a return address or an email address is, uh, is quite satisfying. It's, uh, it's a, I would say, one of the most important parts of the job, even though it, you know, it's not necessarily one you'd think about as a, as a master blender. Well, as you said, uh, whiskey's about people at the end of the day. It is, absolutely. And our, you know, our people who are enjoying your whiskey, what a tribute. Mm, it's, it, it is the, the thing that brings us the, the most joy, that's, that's for sure. Um, yeah. In terms of sensory experience, if members or anyone is looking to increase their sensory skills, do you have any bits of advice for them? Um, well, that's a good question. I think for myself, it's just stick, stick your nose in as many different whiskies as possible. I think if, if, if I look at what I do day to day, we will nose at 20% alcohol. And I think probably in the past, I thought, why, why would you do that? But now I work on the bench, you see exactly why you do that. It allows you to basically tone down the alcohol notes. Um, it, it, will, it will accentuate any flaws and it'll also drive off you know, the most um, recognizable aromas. So. 20% for us is extremely important on the bench. We will also taste everything before it gets bottled at bottling strength to make sure that the experience that the, you know, the, the, the customer is having is as optimum as it can be. But the other one, if, uh, if I was giving anyone a couple of, let's just say, hidden you know, secret tips, uh, one is think about whiskey structurally. So what I mean by that is where does it hit your tongue? Um, I'm very fortunate, I'm one of the few master blenders out there that's also had time on the stills and, and saw whiskey come off the stills and if you're nosing and tasting your new make throughout a run, the beginning of the run will begin, it'll start at the front of your palate, right on the tip of your tongue and as the, the run goes through and, and the alcohol drops and the flavour changes, it actually will migrate from the front of the tongue to the back of the tongue um, and that will give you an idea of where cuts were made in the final whiskey as well. So if you take late cuts, it will be back of the tongue and be quite a, a bold and probably quite a, a deep whiskey. Um, if you take early cuts, it will sit at the front and it will be quite vibrant, quite fruity. Um, you know, loads of things in a distillery will shape that. Decisions made at the, at the spirit safe, size of the still, shape of the stills. But if you start to think of whiskey structurally, is it at the front, is it at the back? You can then work out what you want to mature in because bourbon casts tend to interact more with the front of your tongue, sherry casts with the back port somewhere in the middle, probably avoid, avoid wine casks because they'll play wherever they want to play, they're, uh, they're a bit like that sometimes. But that structural thinking is something that's, that's probably quite new to a lot of, a lot of members and um, it is an interesting way to, to look at whisky. Um, the other piece of advice I always give people is when you're nosing a glass, tilt it at 45 degrees and smell the top, the middle and the bottom of the rim of the glass and you will get three different layers of aroma. Out the top, you get the lightest, fruitiest notes. In the middle, you tend to get what the oak gives to a whiskey. And then at the bottom, you'll get what the distillery has given. So alcohol heat will sit at the bottom, but peat smoke generally hides down there. Um, and then you can also get some you know, cereal notes and some heavier notes. So they're, they're my two secret tips. I hope this isn't going out to thousands of people. <laughs> uh. <laughs> well, you might get some letters, you well, never maybe, know. maybe, maybe. <laughs> 
And in terms of flavors outside of whiskey, um, mm -hmm. are there any that you find inspiring? Foods, spirits, anything oh, else? Great question. I think in the alcohol industry, I love I love my craft beer. I love seeing what the what hops can do, um, and the way that they're treated by by brewers. Um, my time in in Tasmania was was quite hop driven. It's one of the biggest places for growing hops in the world. Um, a lot of the hops that, that we see, in particularly in the states and and in Asia, come from Tassie. Um, so yeah, craft craft beer definitely helps me with thinking. Uh, in terms of foods, oh, I love playing with Indian food and different spice spices and um, putting things things together in the kitchen. Um, and then in terms of other inspirations, oh, it's a good it's a good question. There's a lot a lot going on in the world of flavour. Um, I think. I love seeing what a bartender can do with something completely wacky. Um, mezcal is a very, very challenging aroma and flavour profile to deal with. And watching a bartender pull that together in a cocktail and balance it and give complexity and, and, and even elegance to a mezcal drink uh, can be quite mesmerising. So I take a lot of, it, a lot of influence and experience and um, notes when I'm sitting at cocktail bars and talking to amazing bartenders. Jamie, and one last question. Mm -hmm. um, what is your favourite part about working in the whisky industry? Oh, it's got to be the people. Um, I don't think, I think if, if you'd asked me back, I started in the whisky industry 20 years ago, my 18th birthday. I think if you said to me in 20 years time, you know, what will you have done? I don't think I would have answered, you know, been a master blender for Famous Grouse. I don't think I would have thought that I'd have had some time on, you know, logistics and supply chain, project management, distilling, manage, distillery management, sales, marketing. You know, I've I've had a very um, broad sort of career when it comes to experiences. But the, the the one thing that runs through all of that, no matter which company you're working for, or distillery you're working for, or brand you're working for, is the quality of the people. Um, the you know, I've not had a job where you don't, I, I, I don't come into work and get energy from the kind of positivity and vibrancy and uh, excitement of the folk round about because it's very difficult to not, you know, have a smile on your face when you're working with such, such quality uh, ingredients and, and an amazing legacy that is, that is Scotch whisky. Thanks to Craig for taking the time to share his passion and stories with Whisky Talk. And a reminder that if you're a member of the Scotch Malt Whisky Society, you can read more in the latest issue of our exclusive members magazine, Unfiltered. We'll be back soon with more whisky stories, but in the meantime, you can always reach out by email at unfiltered at smws.com. Until the next time on Whisky Talk, cheers! Cheers!